So I wanted to uh, say a few things before I got started. Uh, recently, every, I think most people who get the church emails realize we brought two men forward to be deacons. Uh, we, um, we got feedback from all of you, so we're in the process, that process. Um, and, and going back, I don't, I don't want this, this is my first sermon as the new guy, and, and I do not want an, any implication that I'm somehow coming up here and saying that the former guy didn't do something correctly. Okay, so I'm going to say some things about the church and what we've failed to do, but we all have to firmly remember that I have actually been an elder here for five years, and so I'm thinking of myself in this regard. Okay, that's very clear. Uh, back in December, Dean brought a gentleman out here to do some training for pastors. Uh, that was a phenomenal time that we spent a few days learning there, and one of the things, uh, well, what it was about was leading the church from the pulpit. And one of the things that I felt convicted about there was that we, we, I, were, was not doing a very good job leading the deacons. I, I think that is a ministry as a church that's kind of fallen uh, into some disrepair. And so uh, some repair is needed. So that's why we're, um, we've nominated some guys. We're going through that process. We're going to be creating a deacon board that has a moderator, and they're going to somewhat have a little bit more identity and a little bit more self self-governing. So I just want to put that out there. That's why I'm doing this sermon because back in December we were told we should lead from the pulpit, and that's this is an example of doing that. Um, but but it's something that Dean and I had agreed in back back several months ago, which has sort of gotten set aside while we we figured out a few other things. Those things now figured out, we're going to proceed with what the plan was. So that's my introduction to the introduction. I'm now going to read again, because it's good for us to continue to hear the same verses over and over, from Acts uh, chapter 6, verse 1 through 7. This is the word of God. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables, Therefore, brothers, pick. Uh, this is not going to be an excuse for me never to serve a table again, by the way. I just want to clarify that to my kids, especially. Therefore, brothers, pick from among yourselves seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to do this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmen- uh, yeah, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. And this is a fascinating part here. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray together. Father God, we lift up this time now. We lift our hearts up to you. Uh, we, we pray, Lord, that you would expose our sin, that you would expose in us the areas that we are um, not thinking biblically and not acting biblically. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to submit to your word as it is, as it is written, that we would understand it, and that we would obey it. We thank you for your son, who is why we are here, and we would like to be more like him. Uh, we know, Lord, that you are faithful in that, that you will finish the work started, and we know that this sermon today will play a role in that. We thank you for it, and we pray that you would, uh, your word would not come back empty. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So what is a deacon? What are deacons for? Why is Mike even asking this question? 
It seems fairly simple in Acts 6. The deacons are table waiters and accountants. <laughs> deacons do mercy work. That's the purpose of the whole, uh, what's the purpose of a whole sermon on deacons when it seems pretty straightforward in Acts 6 what they're meant to do? But my question is, are deacons really just gophers and errand boys? Right? Are they just here to make sure we have enough toilet paper and coffee filters? And if there's some funds for poor people that it gets distributed, right? Are they just accountants and lackeys? I find in most churches and most of the horrible things that I read about the subject, many think that's all they're, that's what they do. They're just here to make sure we don't run out of toilet paper. <laughs> and I don't think that's at all what God intended for the office, right? Why would you have to have qualifications for a guy who just goes to Costco? I mean, it seems, right, all you need is a credit card and a membership otherwise. So the problem is, if, if most of us really sat and thought about it, this is what happened. I sat down and thought, what is a deacon? What do they do? What are they for? I didn't really know. So I had to go and study this subject myself, because if you're going to reform the deacon's uh, board, the deacon group, it's, it's helpful to actually know what they're for. Uh, what I found out was very surprising. Uh, and, and, and I hope that it's very edifying to you to hear. Okay, there are a couple of interesting things. In, in most churches that you've ever been in, the deacons are just this sort of behind-the-scenes people who do sort of caretaker kind of stuff. But in Acts 6, verse 8, right after the portion that we're studying today, we find that Stephen was full of grace and power, doing great wonders and signs among the people. That seems like a little bit more than handing out loaves of bread. Stephen then goes on, right after this portion, to preach so boldly and so well that they martyr him for it. Again, doesn't seem like your average deacon to me. Then, mysteriously enough, in 1 Timothy 4.6, Paul refers to Timothy as a good servant, and the Greek word there um, doesn't, it does mean servant, but it's the word deacon. Now, I think, as we're going to see, oftentimes when this word appears, translators translate it not as deacon but as something else because it doesn't fit their theology. How is Timothy, someone who's, who's setting up elders, setting up the church, how is that guy a deacon? It doesn't make any sense if all they're supposed to do is serve tables and, and, and account for the money. Okay, This is what we're going to find again and again. The word deacon is translated as all kinds of other things because it doesn't fit the theology. What I would like to do is come up with a theology in which all the uses of the word in Greek work fit together, okay? Why is Timothy a deacon? How is Stephen a deacon when he's doing things that deacons don't usually do? Now, I do not want to, this is also something very common. I don't want to tear the wall down. It's not like deacons and, and pastors and elders are just the exact same thing. That is not the case, okay? That's not the case. There, there are distinctions between the two groups, but I think we have a very narrow view of what deacons should do. Now, partially why this little church of ours has had a hard time getting out of the ghetto and getting on mission is this fact, is we do not have a very active, a very um, empowered deacon board. It's, I think, largely why so many men are burning out of the pastorate in the American church. Uh, I don't know, right? We pay one guy, we pay the pastor, and so why do we need anybody else? We pay him, he should do it all. He should go to Costco, he should fill the bulletins, he should play the music in some, right, some churches. There are pastors who go from over here doing the music to over here to doing the preaching. And I know for a fact that guy actually did a lot of the shopping for a while. 
Um, now, when I first came to this church, Christ's Covenant, it was called at the time, the, I walked in the door, and there were two elders, Covey and, and Dean, folding bulletins. That's because they're servants. Amen. I'm not saying that they were somehow um, doing something they shouldn't have done, but, but what we're talking about here is what leads to a lot of burnout. Pastors can't do the whole thing themselves. They need assistance. And, and without assistance, it, it, it leaves a lot of them exposed to a lot of things that, that des- destroys their ministry. Okay, it's, it's right here in the text. It's right here in the text. What, what, are we, what were the apostles going to do? Not care for the widows? Not preach the word of God? They were overwhelmed by, by the task that was given to them. As Alexander Strout puts it in his introduction to the book, Paul's Vision for the Deacons, among evangelical Bible-believing Christians, there exist widely divergent views on the role of deacons. Some churches do not even have deacons because they see no need for them. The word deacon means servant, and God is very clear that we should all be servants, therefore we're all deacons, and so you don't need an office. Well, then why did the apostles say we did? Why did they even have the office if we're all deacons? <laughs> we're all deacons. No, sorry. So we have to step back for a moment and look at the descriptive portions of Scripture about deacons to, de- to determine what the office of deacon is all about. Nearly all the portions of Scripture concerning in, in the New Testament concerning deacons is descriptive and not prescriptive. Now, you might be wondering, what, what in the world did I just say? What does it mean that a biblical passage is descriptive rather than prescriptive? When studying the Bible, it is important to determine whether the verse or passage at hand is descriptive or proscriptive. The difference is this. Okay? A passage is descriptive if it is simply describing something that occurred. While a passage is prescriptive if it's describing something that should be done. Okay? One is a command and one is simply just telling us a story about what happened. You see the difference? There's prescriptive and descriptive. Simply put, it, is it a description or a command? Is the passage describing something it did happen, or is it prescribing something it should happen? This is a very big deal. People get all kinds of wrong ideas from Scripture because they don't understand the, this difference. Here's an example, the best example. Jesus commands the rich young ruler to sell everything, to give it to the poor, give everything to the poor and follow him. Now, clearly, if, if, if you're looking at this prescriptively, every Christian, how dare all of you own homes and more than one shirt, right? How dare you? You all should go out and sell everything and give it to the poor and follow Jesus. Um, we all know that that's ridiculous, right? But he, it is, Jesus is giving a command, but he's not giving a command to everyone. It, it's descriptive. It's telling a story of a particular command Jesus gave to a particular person. You can get, there's a principle there. In one sense, all of us have something we should sell and get rid of in order to follow Jesus. But that's a principle. Okay? This is what I'm talking about. If, if you take what Jesus says and what the scripture says always as a command, you run into all kinds of problems. And I believe this is the, the, how we've gotten so messed up on deacons. You go to Acts 6, and they want to take this story and make it prescriptive. Deacons have a limited number of things that they can or should do, and that's it. And they define the whole office by, by this story in Acts. And, and, but it doesn't jive with, with other portions of Scripture. And when, when the portion you're interpreting doesn't jive with other portions of Scripture, that sh- all the alarm bells should go off, and you should say, we ha- we have, we've gone awry with this, with this passage, with this doctrine. 
The qualifications of a deacon are prescriptive, right? They ought to be self-controlled and not given to much wine, etc. Those are prescriptive. That's not descriptive. It's not just so happens that the first deacons weren't drunks, but it's okay if all the rest of them after that are. That's not, that's not what they're saying. That part is prescriptive. But the story of how the office of deacon was first instituted is descriptive. The point of the story is not that deacons serve tables or administer resources only, or act as some sort of household servant, which is how many argue the word deacon should be interpreted. <laughs> it's like right now, I'm thirsty. Where's the deacon? Give me some water, right? Does anybody need their Bible's page turned? We can just fetch a deacon for you, right? They're not that kind of household servant. Acts 6 describes a scenario in which the apostles of the church are overwhelmed by the work of the church. The ministry of the word and deed, um, they're, they're overwhelmed by the work of the word and deed, and they need assistance. And since that assistance is so important, they create an office for it. The apostles ordain men to focus on the ministry of deeds so that the apostles can focus on the ministry of the word. As Cornelius Van Dam wrote in his book, The Deacon, it is striking that the Greek term for deacons, diakonois, you're going to hear me mess up this word a lot through the rest of the sermon, that word means servant, and the related verb simply means to serve. In other words, the term as such does not necessarily indicate a special office. In order to determine what the specific office of deacon entailed, we need to move beyond the general meaning of the terms themselves and investigate the New Testament context. The office of deacon is not merely a matter of defining a word, which is often what happens. What does the word mean? It means servant. In what context? Tables and widows, and that's it. But that does not, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. The office of deacon is, yeah, is not a matter of merely defining a word. Neither is Act 6 prescriptive. The office of deacon develops from Act 6 to become an office that is as dynamic and multifaceted as the context of the local church. It's interesting. The word deacon is not even used in Acts 6. But by the time um, Paul writes to the Philippians, he writes the letter to the elders and deacons. He then goes on in 1 Timothy to have qualifications. So what you see, and this is also sometimes very confusing to people, is that things develop as the New Testament progresses. Something starts as a seed form, right, and, and, and it grows into something. Jesus didn't leave a blueprint. He didn't leave like a book of church order, <laughs> like the Westminster Divines, where we just say, oh, Jesus said to do exactly this. He did leave instructions, but those instructions have to be interpreted with wisdom. And you see the apostles doing that in this case. So what we need to do is do the same thing. We need to interpret these things with wisdom. Returning to our text, the word deacon isn't, isn't even found. And in other passages, it is used to refer to people doing a variety of things beyond distributing foods or funds. Looking at Acts 6 descriptively, in its broader context, we can detect certain principles and begin to build a solid theology of what a deacon is. The apostles were overwhelmed, so the apostles ordained deacons. The immediate context was the distribution of resources to widows. But broadly here, what we see in, in what they say in this portion Broadly speaking, the work of ministry is divided into the ministry of word and the ministry of deeds. The ministry of the word and the ministry of deeds. And we're not limited by the specific deeds that they were doing in Acts 6. That, that's going to be the point that I try to make through this whole thing. A principle here is that the deeds specifically address the circumstances of a specific Christian community. Another principle is that certain deeds were so burdensome they were distracting people from the joy and the unity of the Lord. 
to properly equip the saints for the work of ministry, both the ministries of word and deed, and to maintain joy and unity in the body, the apostles required and validated the creation of two distinct offices with specific areas of focus. That raises the level of what a deacon is, doesn't it? They can't function without them because what's being neglected? The work of the real work of ministry, both word and deed, and the unity and the joy of the saints. So a deacon is there to, to maintain balance in the ministry of the church and to ensure unity and joy amongst the believers. That seems like a great deal more than simply handing out water cups at, at a church picnic. Right? Deacons are far more important than we understand. So let's look for a moment at what I'm, I'm talking about, this ministry of word and deed. Where does that idea come from? As we see in the opening chapters of Acts, all of the apostles could, they could care for the spiritual and physical welfare of their community. The true ministry of the church is not Gnostic, but grounded in the real life circumstances of actual people. The fallout of sin has real consequences. Dealing with poverty, addiction, essentially the practical and real, real world circumstances of a fallen person is as equally as important as renewing the mind and walking by the spirit. Right? You can't just save someone's soul and leave them in the muck that they're sitting in. You've got to get them out of the, circ- the nasty circumstances and, and the fallout from the sin that they've been committing. But neither is the ministry of the church what many have falsely deemed the social gospel. The problem with mankind is not merely circumstances. It's not poverty or a lack of education or economic inequality. And if we just cured those things, we'd cure people. It's not that. All of those things are fruit the fruit of what ails us. They're not what ails us. Economic inequality is not the problem. It's the fruit of the problem. Sin is the problem. Jesus said in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teach them to observe. Discipling the nations is about what is to be believed and what is to be done. Jesus says, teach them my commandments so that they can do my commandments. James makes this point very well in James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The word of God teaches us what is to be done, not simply what is to be believed. It's not merely knowledge, and it's not merely works. It's the two things together. The ministry of Jesus was a ministry of words and deeds. The Son of God came into the world to teach us love and to show us love. He, call, he calls disciples to observe his commandments, to obey his teaching. Now, think about this. On the road to Emmaus, Jesus was traveling incognito with two disciples who did not recognize him. And he asks them about this Jesus. And in Luke twenty four nineteen, it says, They said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all people. Luke four sixteen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 4.16. Jesus was a man of words, and Jesus was a man of deeds. His entire ministry was not simply talking, 
neither was it simply working. It was preaching and working. So if you go to Luke chapter 4, verse 16, this is the famous passage that we most of us have probably heard. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. (laughs) And he rolled the scroll up and he sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He's preaching. He's preaching Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is preaching Jesus. Now what does he go on to do? Well, he goes on to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to recover the sight of the blind. He's preaching, and then he goes on and he does. This, this are the subheadings of the next sections after this. Jesus heals a man with an unclean demon. Jesus preaches in synagogues. Jesus calls the first disciples. Jesus heals many. Jesus cleanses a leper. Jesus heals a paralytic. He didn't just sit around and teach stuff. He proclaimed the word of God, and he got up and he fixed people's problems. He healed them. He dealt with the physical issues that they had. It wasn't merely spiritual, and neither was it merely physical. It was both. It was both. Jesus preaches and works that message out amongst the people. The spiritual burdens and physical burdens were his ministry. He forgives sins and feeds 5,000. He declares sinners clean and raises the dead. He gives sight to the blind and instructs the masses on the mount. His ministry is a ministry of word and deed. Now, Going back to Acts, go back to Acts for a second, and let's find out what the apostles are doing after Jesus has ascended into heaven. If you go to Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to them was his own. But they had everything in common, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet, and they gave it to widows. They're not just preaching. They're not just going around doing good works. They're doing both. They're doing both. The apostles are imitating Jesus by continuing his ministry in word and deed. They preach the gospel, unburdening the spiritual cares of the church, and they gather and distribute goods, unburdening the physical cares of the church. And by doing both, the church grows bigger and healthier. And that growth brings its own glorious problems. The Hellenistic Jews felt like their widows were being slighted in the distribution of goods in favor of the local widows. I'm not going to get into these categories too much. The Hellenistic Jews were ones who weren't from Jerusalem. The local Jews were from Jerusalem. 
So the out-of-towners feel like their widows are being slighted in favor of the, of the local ones. Now, I'm going to make this point now. That's a pretty serious thing to bring to the elders of a church, the apostles. Uh, you're not, you, you know, even lovingly, you guys aren't doing your job very well. People are being neglected. And what they do is they then put the deacons in charge of it. And so the deacons, that is a thorny issue that deacons would have to get involved in. Accusations against the leadership of the church, whether they're valid or not. And so you see that even pastoral care right at the beginning is part of the whole ministry of what the deacons are doing. Right? They don't just send them in and distribute the food. You've got to deal with the complaint. You have to sit down and meet with the guy and hear what he has to say, right? And make sure he's doing what he, he's bringing the complaint lovingly and then it's responded to lovingly. The apostles don't want anyone neglected, but the conflict amongst the brothers spreads to the apostles themselves. This struggle in the body is now a struggle within themselves. In Acts 6, 2, and 4, it says, what, what are we going to do? Stop preaching the word and praying so that we can serve tables? And, and they are no means putting down the service of tables, like it sounds. It kind of sounds like that, doesn't it? <laughs> what am I? Come on. I got all these books in my office that need reading. I'm not going to go out there and serve bread to people. That's not what they're saying. They understand where their gifting lies. They understand, and this is also very important, the primacy of the ministry of the word. They're not going to stop doing it to do this, but this needs to be done. And so what they do is they create an office that does the works portion of the ministry. Strouch, in his book, Minister, Minister of Mercy, wrote this. In Scripture, these two broad classifications of ministry are described as word and deed in Romans 15.18 and Colossians 3.17. In Acts 6, Luke defines these classifications as the ministry of word, verse 4, and the serving of food, verse 2. Peter also defines them as speaking and serving, which is the same thing as word and deed. He writes this in 1 Peter 4.11. Whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. Whoever serves, let him do so as by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. The apostles understood the work that they were doing as two different things. Anagalous things, things that go together. You can't just preach and you can't just work. You have to have both. And they all thought of it in this way. Some people are strong in both word and deed. <laughs> There's not that many, but here, here's an example. Jesus, Jesus was pretty good at doing both. He's referred to as mighty in word and deed in Luke 24, 19. Uh, what's interesting is Moses, in, in a sermon in, recorded in Acts 7, 22, is also referred to as mighty in word and deed. So Luke wrote both Luke and Acts. And, and not only does he think of Jesus' work as, as word and deeds, he thinks of Moses' work as word and deeds. Now, there's a famous story where uh, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, comes and finds Moses sitting there judging millions and millions and millions of cases. All Israel is standing around waiting for their turn to talk to Moses, and Jethro is, uh, excuse me, uh, what are you doing? This looks like a terrible idea. Not only are, do they, are, are you denying them peace because they have cases to be heard, you're going to kill yourself with what you're doing. I'm paraphrasing now. This is like the message version of the story. <laughs> right? So even Moses, who's recorded as being great and works and deeds, needed some help. Jesus, as we know, was exhausted all the time, right? Why he was he's like crawling away trying to get some alone time, and then and they're just searching him out. So the apostles now are dealing with the same problem. They're just like Moses was, right? They they, they need help, they need assistance in what they're doing. 
So we should not think of these things, again, as watertight compartments. Should deacons not preach because preaching is a ministry of word? How dare that deacon be preaching? No. And again, should a, a pastor, if he has the opportunity to go into a third world country to help build houses, be like, I'm sorry. I'll pray for them, but I'm not going to, you know, do stuff. No, that, that's not at all what I'm saying. Not at all. Stephen and Philip demonstrate further on in Acts that deacons can preach and teach in certain circumstances. It's important to note that one of the biggest differences in the qualifications of elders and deacons is the ability to teach. In 1 Timothy 3.2, it states that elders, pastors, have to be able to teach. There's no such requirement for deacons. I think what they're recognizing here is the original division of labor found in Acts 6. It doesn't say they can't, what it doesn't, but it's, it doesn't say that they have to be able to. Now, if you're going to be a pastor, you have to be able to teach because what's, I mean, that's kind of your job, right, on some level. You're going to be involved in the ministry of the word. You have to be able to, you know, teach the word. But a deacon can or cannot. It's not part of their job. Generally speaking, elders are ministers of the word and deacons are ministers of works. Paul says in 1 Timothy 3.13, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Right? What I find fascinating is that the ministry of deacons validates the preaching of the word. If we're preaching love, if we're preaching self-sacrifice, if we're preaching unity, we're preaching the one another's, what you need, it's helpful, is to have some people out front of everyone demonstrating <laughs> that they're doing that. So the ministry of deacons is also a validation of the ministry of words. It's also really important. Jesus was doing both. And so if Jesus was doing it, having officers that do likewise is extremely important. There's a quote I'm going to read to you from Frederick Herzog. Now listen to this. Listen to the, the Dutch, the Dutch reformed in, in the Netherlands, how, how they thought of the, of the office of deacon. When during World War II, the Netherlands were occupied by Germans, the deacons of the Dutch Reformed Church assumed the care for the politically persecuted, supplying food and providing secret refuge. Realizing what was happening, the Germans decreed that the elective office of deacon should be eliminated. The German, the German government's going to try to get rid of deacons. You've you got to be a pretty good deacon if the Nazis don't want you around. The Reform Sinaid on 17 July 1941 resolved this. This is what the Dutch church had to say. Whoever touches the diaconate interferes with what Christ has ordained as the task of the church. Whoever lays hands on the diaconia lays hands on worship itself. I think I have said from where I'm standing right now that our work is worship and our worship is work. So the worship of this church isn't simply what we do here on Sunday mornings. It's the work that the church is doing. How are we doing? I know that's an awkward question. It's an awkward question. It's why we've been preaching so much about getting on mission and getting out of the ghetto. The, the, the problem is you have to have someone who leads such a thing. And, and I, I, I'm maybe going to speak at a turn here, but I think for the two, two of us, I, I feel sometimes like the apostles. Who, who, who can do all of these things? Who can care for all of these people physically and spiritually? It's an extraordinarily overwhelming task. And so, it, because it's an overwhelming task, God left room to create this office, this important office, that is more than just serving tables. Deeds validate words. The initial progress of Christianity was that we didn't just speak about virtues, 
We appointed officers to oversee real-life application of those virtues. Love is incarnate in the church through deacons. Show me your faith and I'll show you my works, is what James, the brother of the Lord, wrote in James 2.18. As a church, we should be able to say, show me your faith and I'll show you our deacons. But we're not quite there, are we? We're not. And it's a real problem. I think it's one of the roots of of this whole problem in general. Uh, It's very revealing to me that everything that I've learned about deacons and why they were initially the office was initially created because I feel exactly like the apostles were feeling, overwhelmed. Now let's go on. Let, let The last point here, this is only a two-point sermon, I promise. This point now is, is how do we summarize the office of deacon? I don't want to change what we call deacons. That would be weird. Let's now start calling them assistants instead of deacons. Everyone, and then we have to explain ourselves to every other church. But this, this word assistant, I think reconciles everything in the New Testament about deacons. Okay, so let's look at that for a moment. Deacons as assistants. Assistants to do what? Well, that depends on what the pastors in the church actually need. To further develop our theology of the diaconate, we have to focus on the root principle. The specifics of Acts 6 are that widows are being overlooked. The physical care of the community was overwhelming the ability of the apostles to do either ministry well at all. Recognizing their own gifting as teachers and preachers, as well as the primacy of the ministry of the word, the apostles required a new office to focus on the ministry of deeds. And since the deeds arise from the ministry of the word, the natural supremacy of each ministry and office is revealed. Okay, the apostles needed assistance. But those assistants were to imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. They were to have authority and considerably high levels of integrity as they focus on unburdening people's physical needs. The details of the story, widows, serving tables, overseeing the distribution of goods, are not prescriptive for the simple reason that the specific circumstances of churches change. Right? This is, f- like, this is all you need to put away this prescriptive aspect of Acts 6. We are not the same church as the one who is living a, what seems like a socialistic system here <laughs> in Jerusalem, at, in first century uh, Jerusalem. We're, we're not the same kind of church. We live in a socialized society. The existence of food stamps, socialized medicine, retirement accounts, and the behemoth social services offered by the state make our context very different. Uh, I worked for, for a while. I volunteered at a food bank, and it was extremely helpful on this subject because I thought, yes, bring me the huddled masses. Bring me the hungry, and I will feed them. And there, there was a gentleman who lived under a bridge and liked it, and he would come in every morning to eat breakfast, and, and literally he, he would check what kind of yogurt we were serving and because and he, he didn't like berries. And if we were serving some kind of yogurt that had berries, he'd leave. And I thought the guy who should be in this culture of ours, the hungriest guy around, can actually gets, he gets fed often enough to refuse a particular kind of yogurt because of the flavor. It doesn't get more American than that, by the way. I mean, that's just... Whew. Anyway, so... I, I, and if you look at the poverty, what poverty is uh, for the U.S. Census, it, it is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. It's like if you don't own, if you own less than two cars, less than three TVs, I, I, the list of things is shameful, shameful. It doesn't get more American than that either. So the context that we are in is very different than Act 6. And so going back to Act 6 and just like, well, let's do this thing. Bring me some widows. 
Do we even have a widow in this church? No, we don't. Who doesn't have kids, who doesn't have anyone to help her, who's all alone. So, okay, I guess we don't need deacons then. That, that, that's laughable. We can all just throw that aside as nonsense. The circumstances of our church are specific. The, the circumstances of any church are specific. A church that has a high number of widows has a different physical needs than a church with a high number of young families. We all know that, correct? <laughs> Please don't distribute bread, distribute wine. No? Okay, anyway. <laughs> there, is, there is no specific list of diaconal tasks anywhere for the simple reason there shouldn't be. Ministers go into the world, they have one job, preach the gospel everywhere to everyone. And if they're doing that, wherever they go, they're going to run into different issues and need assistance doing different things. It's up to the church itself to ask, what, do, what does the, the elders need help doing? Is there too much word? Is there too much work? Is he doing too many things that are distracting him from his real job, which is the ministry of prayer and the ministry of preaching? Or, that's fine, that's all he does, and we don't care. Because we just come here, we want a message, we want to learn some things, and then we want to go home and go back to the rest of our lives, and, and it's fine. We're Sunday, we meet on Sunday, and that's it. The role of deacon develops as the New Testament unfolds. The seven men ordained in Acts 6 are not called deacons in Acts 6. In Acts 6, the seven men are ordained to assist the apostles. This is another word in, in Acts that um, the word deacon is in several times when they're going to go on missionary journeys, they translate the word that they had assistance. The word is deacons, but they translate it as assistance because they don't understand right the theology of it. That's not what deacons do. Deacons don't go on mission trips generally. But I think it's a more accurate description of what a deacon actually is because their job is to alleviate the pressure of one person or one group of men having to do all of the work of ministry. So just an aside here for a moment. Paul was writing it in Greek. Now, he was writing the New Testament. It's, they're starting you know, from scratch in Greek anyway. They had the Hebrew Bible, but now they're going to sit down and write the uh, new portions of the Bible in Greek. Greek had been around for a while. And so if you find words in the New Testament, sometimes it's helpful to understand how they're being used if you go and see how they're be, they were used in other forms of literature. Right Now, an example in English is the word chief. The chief uh, financial officer of a, of a business is very different than the chief of the Crow Indians which is very different than the chief of the police. So it's important, how do you use this word chief? Well, in, in Greek, the, um, the word deacon refers to literally like a house slave who serves the food, uh, someone who fetches things and goes on errands, someone who uh, goes out and makes official proclamations on behalf of someone, or uh, someone who's an agent, like an agent, like a, think of a business agent. Right? A business agent is under authority but has authority. He goes to the sports team and he works out the contract. He speaks for the person. A real estate agent is the same thing. You, you, you've empowered this person. They're working for you, but they are, have the authority to make deals on your behalf. I, and I think that makes the most sense out of all the uses of the Greek outside of the New Testament. That's what a deacon is. 
that the apostles needed help, so they appoint this deacon who's now an agent. What do they need him to do? Well, what's going on? What is the ministry need in the church? I think that makes the most sense of all the uses of deacon in the New Testament. Um, a real-life modern example of this is the word minister is, again, another word they translate it as. Why don't they say deacon? Because Timothy couldn't possibly be a deacon, so we're going to call him a minister. But that word, actually, do you guys ever, anyone ever heard of the prime minister? Right, okay. We all have heard of the prime minister. Oh, the Canadians are shaking their heads vigorously down here in the front. <laughs> now, in a parliamentary or, or a constitutional monarchy, uh, you have the head of state, which is the, the, the king or queen, and then what you do is you have ministers who advise them about things that they're going to do, and they call them ministers, deacons. They, they, there's, um, the prime minister is the chief among them. He's sort of the moderator of the, of the ministers, and you have a minister of finance and a minister of war and a minister of home interior, and they all make, get together and make decisions, and the prime minister reports to the king. Right? This, this is how we, we should think of the word ministers. In, in a U.S. system, they call them secretaries. I don't want to add too many words to this thing and make everyone confused. But this is how the ministers, the deacons under the apostles worked. They were vested with authority to make decisions and to represent the ministry of the church to the body and to the outside world. Now here is the, the big finish. The big finish here. I promise Two points in a, in a finale. The ministry is to be full-bodied. Full-bodied. I am not suggesting that we now ordain a bunch of deacons so that they can work and we just sit around. Right? I'll be in my office reading. The rest of y'all just go out and enjoy your sunshine at the lake or whatever. We'll appoint some deacons and they'll send some money overseas and it'll be great. Right? <laughs> Word and deed. That's not what I'm suggesting. That's not what I'm suggesting at all. In Acts 6, the body is growing, and its increasing diversity and complexity was causing a lack of unity and joy in the Lord. The apostles responded by gathering the whole body and asking the body to bring forward men who were then ordained assistants to oversee the ministry of the deeds. You see the whole church together working on this problem. Everyone together. In Acts 6, elders, in response to legitimate complaints... Um, equipped the body to work properly to build itself up in love. That's what you see. You see the Ephesians 4 principle here at work. Deacons were the key to doing that, to building the body up in love. The words of the apostles were backed by, up by actions for the real-world care for people's actual needs. In Acts 6, the result of the deacons' work is found in verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the di disciples multiplied greatly. You add the deacons who can focus on the ministry of deeds, and it increases the effectiveness of the word of God because now the apostles can focus on it. And not only that, it increases the health of the body. It re, right, identifying men who can be deacons, who can identify the resources of the community, the needs of the community, and the needs of the broader community means they are working and leading the church to do this work. Okay, The body is... In, in this example in Acts 6, is all, is, there's, it's not working properly. You add deacons, right? They don't suddenly now give of all their money. Everybody still gives of their money. What you have now is just leadership for that. What are all of your spiritual giftings that are being neglected because we do not have deacons to lead ministries? 
That is my point. That's where we're at as a church. When the, the whole body is functioning properly, the ministry of word expands and the body increases and gets healthier. It's interesting that in Ephesians 4.12, where it says that we are to equip the saints for the work of ministry, the word translated ministry is diakonia, the noun form of the word diakonoi. Right? <laughs> we're, we're, the deacons and the elders are to equip the church to be deacons to the world to do that same work. So the work of deacons is an example. It's what we lift up as the elders and say, look, look and follow these people. They have real authority. They, ha- they have real care for the people of God. Because sometimes, right, sometimes there's somebody who says, hey, I need some financial assistance. Get me some deacons over here. And the deacons go over there, and the problem is the guy spends too much money on a bunch of stuff he ought not. Right? That's a pastoral problem. So I don't, it's not just we're going to appoint some guys to spend some money. (laughs) Sorry, some of you were like really excited. (laughs) We see the saints in Acts 6 go from complaining to increasing in health, functioning properly. We see the increase of the preaching of the word of God, and this is all good. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel over the last few years, I have really, it's resonated with me that we are lacking in the ministry of deeds. Now, if we go back to Acts and we look at what the first church did, it's helpful to us. It's instructive. Uh, appoint some leaders, <laughs> right? And, and it's not supposed to be overburdening to any one particular group. The whole church together, led by these two offices, go out and not just preach the word, but live it out. This is why, this is why we're appointing new deacons. This is why we're going to have a board a deacon board with a moderator to study this issue, to study this church, to study the context of Linwood, and to figure out what's being neglected. We all know something is. You guys have all heard sermons like this. It's almost like this is the conclusion to 18 different sermons we've preached over the last three years. But, but it's time to really stand up and do something now. When we're electing deacons, it's a serious thing. To, you're go- we want you to follow those people into combat to go into the world to really deal not only with the physical problems that we have here, but with the larger context of the community we're in. Because what did Jesus do? Did he just come here and and sit around and teach? Was that all he did? Right? We love the Jesus who comes and hangs out with sinners when the sinners are us. We love that about him. He is amazing. He, even me. But then when it's to go and do likewise, we run into all kinds of problems. And so what we need are are real servant-hearted people to lead the charge on this, to be equipped, to to have us get out of the way a little bit and and really have a group of men in their own gifting, their own understanding, study everything that I've said here and really come up with a plan that works. There are things being neglected. And if we want to be a full-bodied church, if we want to be healthy and actually not just proclaim, talking about things, but doing them, it's not just going to happen. You guys, look at all the kids in here. You all have jobs. It's go, it, it requires some, some collective work together. How many of you guys feel, raise your hand, if you can just go home and come up with a ministry idea in the next two weeks? Oh, no, there's no hand. Oh, I, oh Dean, Dean's got one. It's called Mexico, baby. <laughs> Right, But how many of you would prefer to sit down with a group of um, 
gifted men who, who have a, a heart for this kind of thing and, and to talk to them about different things and come up with ideas. That's how I, I, I hate sitting around coming up with ideas by myself. I need, I need books. I need people. I need to talk about things because I, you're like, oh, what am I supposed to do about this? I have no idea. You saw that nonsense with the uh, picnic a few, <laughs> a few weeks ago when I was announcing it. There's so many things I've never thought of. What I need is like four people to sit there and ask questions of me before I come up with an idea that's good. And I think that's where the church is at. We need to together to appoint some people to lead this. And that's what we're going to do. And the, and the purpose of all of it is to reflect the ministry of Jesus Christ really and truly in both word and deed. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time together. We pray, Lord, that these would not just be merely things we think and talk about, but that we actually take action on. You are a God who did not stay away. You are a God who came into the mess of our lives, to the mess of this world, and actually healed people's physical needs and spiritual needs. We pray, Father God, that as we move forward in this area, that we would be humble, that we would be loving and compassionate towards one another, that we would truly serve one another and reflect the love that you have shown us, each of us not only for our own sakes, but for the watching world. We pray, Lord, that you would go before us this week, that you would bless us, that you would protect us, and that in all things we would glorify your name. And amen. amen.